My name is Jeff Skinner. I'm Executive Director of the Institute of Innovation and Entrepreneurship at London Business School. Now, the purpose of this series is uh, all about learning from London Business School students who've launched their own ventures and help to equip and inspire those who want to do the same. We have dozens of students here who explore and launch new ventures every year. I'm lucky to be with them for that journey with all the emotional highs and lows and loneliness and ambiguity of life as an entrepreneur. And I'm always learning from their experience and it's our hope that by telling you the stories of emerging entrepreneurs, we can let others, you, in on that learning. For the first in this series, I'm joined by Monique Bars, founder of Finisi. Now, Monique, you uh, graduated from the school last year and are now in the school's incubator while you fully find your feet. Why did you tell us a little bit about Finisi? What does it do and who does it serve? Thanks so much, Jeff. It's great to be here. So at Finisi, we're using an AI chatbot to improve the financial capability of millions of people profitably. And what purpose is that? I mean, so they, they become financially literate. What's the impact? Yeah. So it's actually a really big problem around the world. The latest studies suggest that two in every three people globally are financially illiterate, meaning they don't understand even base, even what basic interest is. Um, but this is particularly pervasive in emerging economies. So Latin America, Southeast Asia, India and, and Africa, which is, which is my home, which is my passion. Um, so we're really looking to improve the financial literacy of you know, millions of adults. But when they become financially literate, what does it enable them to do that they're not doing at the moment? Yeah, well, I mean, everybody makes financial decisions every single day, right? Whether it's to spend money, to save money, budgeting, investing, insurance. Financial literacy really helps everybody to make more informed financial decisions and hopefully better decisions. Lovely. So this... Venture, you know, it's been gestating for years. Uh, I mean, I remember first meeting you at least two years ago, but the story started much earlier than that still. Yes, it started quite a while ago, actually. While I was in university in South Africa, I spent my weekends and afternoons in townships teaching young adults about entrepreneurship and how to use computers. And really, that, that sparked my passion, my interest for education technology. Over time, I started a nonprofit in South Africa with some friends called Click Maths, where we translated Khan Academy maths videos into local South African languages, really to try and bridge the gap between the existing education, which wasn't quite good enough, and world-class international education. And that, for me, was that first glimpse into how powerful technology is when applied to education. But after that, you left and had a more traditional uh, spell of your life when you went into consulting? Yes, absolutely. I, well, I did a master's degree in finance and then joined BCG as a management consultant. So started my career traveling the world, working with multiple financial institutions and various kinds of companies across Africa, in the Middle East, in Paris. A very typical consultant well, life. Wonderful. I mean, that could have been the beginning of the, the route up to partner, but it wasn't enough. And so you decided to self-disrupt and come here. Yes, it was quite a momentous decision, I think. Not many people resigned from BCG to do their MBA and then start a business. But for me, it was very deliberate. I reached a, a time where I just felt, you know what, if I could apply everything I've learned and I could spend these hours solving one of the biggest social challenges of our time, imagine the impact I could have. Uh, and I really thought, 
you know, the MBA was a fantastic stepping stone to to achieve that. Okay, well, we'll come later to ask whether it was actually a fantastic stepping stone. But let's take you now to the point where you came and arrived at the school. I mean, you'd obviously had the somewhat sort of a light bulb moment of the problem you wanted to solve, but much less so about the product and and how you were going to piece together everything that was needed to be able to offer it on the on the ambitious scale that you clearly had for this. So you arrived day one, then what? I actually came with a lot of different ideas. I came with many fintech ideas, which is a much sexier industry, to be honest. My own ideas and, and was really interested in the, the space in general and seeing what other startups were doing. So I spent really the first six months of my MBA just diving into my own ideas, the existing startups, and just seeing what was happening, seeing if anything sparked an interest or if anything would stick. And the more I researched, the more people I spoke to, the more companies I worked with, the more I realized that actually there's there's an underlying challenge that they're all facing, especially in the African context. And that is the fact that most of their consumers are financially illiterate and actually either don't understand the need for their products or aren't using them correctly. And that was that aha moment where I just realized this is a problem. This is a big problem that everybody, all the, the sexy fintech companies are facing. The earlier idea then, which was to help the individuals, had, had now kind of moved into a bigger problem. You realize that businesses themselves were being held back and there was this massive untapped potential of, of customers that they could reach. And, and I guess at that point, you know, a better revenue model comes into place because you can be part B2B rather than the B2C. Exactly. So six months in, the light bulb moment has come on the problem, but you still have to build the business. So what happens then? It was actually quite a beautiful moment within the the MBA environment is super introspective. And I had one of those brainstorming processes where I basically, you know, realized that this is a big problem, but also realized at the same time that a lot of my experiences in life to that point, even though they seemed quite random at the time, were really triangulating into insights that would help me do the ideation and figure out what the solution could look like. So combining my personal interest in education, the nonprofit I worked with, my work with financial institutions and consulting for financial institutions, and also working with fintechs and financial inclusion in Africa, all of these quite seemingly random experiences came together and gave me insights that would help me figure out the solution. You used a big word then, uh, ideation. I think we need to unpack that a little bit because I'm not even sure that I understand what that means. I'm definitely no expert on ideation. However, for me, what it means is taking the time to think, to brainstorm, to speak to as many people as possible and to figure out what a solution could look like for a specific problem. So I spent a year and a half after that aha moment during the MBA, really, refining what the solution could look like. And and to give you an example of that process, for me, understanding who my consumers were, who the, the end consumers were, what their limitations were from a technology perspective and from a time perspective. I was constantly thinking through how not only to make finance simple and accessible to everyone, but also to deliver it in a format that would minimize the barriers to actually getting anyone to engage with it. Along the way, you Presumably, you had to start building stuff. I mean, it's too easy to to shape the world to your heart's desire. The, the, the rubber has to hit the road somewhere. You have to create something to test. 
tell us what was your first prototype or you know minimum viable product? I mean, what what did you do to start building this? That's a fantastic story, Jeff. I started building a lot of content that I could then deliver, but my first dirty alpha, as one would call it, was myself pretending to be a chatbot on WhatsApp. So I had a group of 100 participants, which is quite ambitious to start with. And I had a predefined script and I pretended to be a chatbot on the back of their conversations, which meant that at any time of the day, I was on my phone waiting, hoping and needing to respond to messages from my 100 participants to the point where my friends actually nicknamed me the Monbot for all my my efforts trying to be a robot or a chatbot on the back of this MVP just imagine you trying to trying to become a robot yourself, the monbot. Fantastic. So at the beginning, it was just you. I mean, you've got a problem to solve and you've got an embryonic, if rather rudimentary, prototype that you're developing. But, you know, put it blandly, you've got no money, no customers, few believers, no team and no technical background. How do you overcome these, um, let's say, deficiencies? The first thing I'd say is you learn very quickly so that you can. What, do you yeah. mean you learn what you don't know? Yeah, you learn what you don't know and what you can learn, the quick wins essentially. So even though I didn't have a, a massive team behind me, I learned what I needed to learn to at least get the first tests out, to build the first bits of content. Or to really put just my take vision. that there. Yeah, You've that's... got the, you know, the one thing you're lacking to, to most people listening, there's a fair bit of technology in this product. And yet you did a master's in finance, was it? So you just didn't have that tech background. I mean, how do you overcome a deficit like that? That's a really great question, Jeff. I got to a point through this journey, through the ideation and the, the building the foundations of Finisi, where I was comfortable with the content, I was comfortable with the business model, I was comfortable with the conversations I was having, but I really needed to think about what the technology looked like. And as you mentioned, I don't have a technical background. So what I did is I went straight to LinkedIn and I searched for machine learning and education because I had a hypothesis that what would make this education special was really applying machine learning to personalize the experience. Three people came up and one group. It's obviously not a not a very common skill set. I joined the group. I messaged the three people and just said, hey, this is what I'm working on. I'd really appreciate 15 minutes of your time to just help me think through what the technology looks like, to help me structure my thinking. Not even thinking about at that stage hiring anyone. And that proved very useful. So I'm still speaking to all three of those people today, actually. And one of them is now my CTO and co-founder. So I met with him. He was the only one who was actually in London. I met with him for brunch, just chatted about what I was doing. And we ended up meeting every month after that just to brainstorm, you know, what the database would look like or how I should structure the content or, you know, how to actually build a chatbot. And, you know, as time progressed, he said to me more and more, listen, Mon, I'm getting offers from Google and from Facebook and from different startups. But actually, I don't believe in anything as much as I believe in what you're working on. So can we work together? And that's the start of a fantastic journey and friendship to get to where we are today. And how do you finance all of this? I mean, the team builds and one of the, the marks of a, a successful entrepreneur is to be able to attract top talent and enthuse top talent. But you can't get away from the need for money. You have to spend money. So where has that come from? Personal resources, birthright? 
<laughs> I wouldn't quite say birthright, but I've definitely bled my savings dry. And the, the nice thing about coming from a consulting background is always having the ability to do a quick consulting gig here and there to, to boost the bank balance. So I've been quite scrappy and hustled my way to be able to bootstrap the business to this point. Two of my team members are paid, one's in South Africa, one's in Ghana. They have obviously mortgages to pay and lives to live. My CTO is with me here in London and he's working for Sweat Equity and we are hustling our way through a funding, raising money right now. And I really want to come on to that. You use the word hustle there. Now, this is MBA land where we are at the moment. And to me, MBA focuses on planning, strategy, leveraging assets and profit. But I get the impression that there's actually a lot here about luck, hustle, sales, scrappy, as you said. So how do those two fit together? What have you learned here? I mean, it's, it's yeah. clearly given you yeah. two years to think about and a, and a certain freedom to explore okay, the new like venture. Yeah. But we would hope to have given you a great deal more than that during the curriculum, everything we try to teach you here. And yet... What have you picked up? What is useful, given that the world is scrappy and hustly, as opposed to planned and, and strategized? That's very true, Jeff. Hustle is a very big word for a startup, and that is what I feel like I do on a daily basis. However, I don't think I would have the confidence to dive into a startup and to hustle if it wasn't for the more structured, more academic MBA environment. So my experience coming into the MBA was knowing I, you know, wanted to get into entrepreneurship, but really, you know, not knowing if I had enough credibility, enough of the skill set, enough people to draw from to really make this a success, especially at the scale of my ambition. So I really valued the MBA for multiple reasons. And one is obviously from an academic content perspective, really understanding the elements of entrepreneurship that I didn't know before, whether it comes to financing, building teams. There's a lot of content that really helps at least structure your thinking, at least helps you to think about the best ways to approach different problems that that entrepreneurs will face. Beyond that, I think having the time to really think and to dream and to explore is super valuable. There is time within an MBA to explore and to even do internships. And, and it's kind of a great excuse to ask a lot of people a lot of questions. I mean, yes, that's right. First first term is, is a fire hose of information. And then people just don't appreciate that after that, you really are given space to explore, well, anything you want to do, whether it's somebody else's venture or, or, or your own venture. The life of an entrepreneur, I'll be a bit cliched about this, full of loneliness and, and ambiguity. Yeah, you, you clearly have a community around you. That's, that's something else that being at a place like this does. But at the same time, it is quite lonely. Have you had to adapt to that? Absolutely. For me personally, I wouldn't say it's been lonely. However, I would say it's been an emotional roller coaster. So underlying everything, I've never been more fulfilled, more more happy. I've never woken up in the morning more excited to just get stuff done. But at the same time, I've never had to manage the, the incredible highs and incredible lows that come basically every hour of every day before. Give us an example of a low and then we'll get on to the high. The reason, I think one of the reasons I'm an entrepreneur is that I just forget about all the lows. So that, that's what lets me keep going. <laughs> <laughs> That's, All right, tell us about I, a few highs then. <laughs> when are the moments of elation, the ones where you just want to 
So the moments of elation mostly come from having conversations with really senior, really experienced people and having them completely validate a whole lot of our assumptions or speaking to customers in in Ghana especially and them saying, oh, we need this. This is amazing. You know, how quickly can we start? And that, that kind of validation for me is the, the biggest high because startup is all about hypotheses and all about, you know, taking a perspective. And when that actually gets validated, it means a lot. Yours isn't a social enterprise per se, but it clearly has huge social purpose and potential social impact. How do you balance the dual goals of of that purpose, which clearly drives you, and the need for for profit and and potential B2B relationships with with organisations that may have a different purpose to you? So for me, what gets me out of bed is definitely the problem itself and being able to, what I think is give a person their dignity back in terms of making, being able, being confident, being comfortable, making good financial decisions. So I'm very motivated by the purpose. However, I'm also a businesswoman who understands that the purpose can only be achieved if this is a profitable business. When doing the ideation we spoke about earlier and doing, you know, figuring out what this could look like, I was very deliberate in saying there needs to be a business case behind this. Because actually, we're in a unique position where financial institutions and other institutions actually benefit financially from financially literate consumers. So for me, I see them in the typical lockstep word that they work hand in hand, this purpose, giving people financial literacy and helping them to make or empowering them to make excellent decisions actually works hand in hand with the financial value on the back of that. And we're basically tying the two together. Tell me where you are now. I mean, there's a little bit of fast forward here. We've taken you from the very early beginnings through the monbots, through the scrappiness, through the gradual conversations and piecing together your 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 value chain. I mean, compare yourself a year ago to, or even oh, six man. months ago to where you are now. I mean, what, what's changed? So many things have actually changed in the last year. From a team perspective, we're a full-time team of four with additional support along the way, which really is the foundation of the work we do. Uh, We've developed over 120 topics of finance content, starting from, you know, what is a bank account, moving all the way through to much more complex topics like cryptocurrency. Uh, We've developed five original storylines. We've run multiple pilots and we're currently live with our actual automated MVP on Facebook Messenger with over 1,300 users. So we're constantly testing and iterating and improving our our product. From a customer side, we've seen such fantastic traction and, and encouragement from the market, the financial service providers especially, saying, we need this, let's work together, how soon can we start? So we've had our first paying customer and we're running a pilot with one of the big financial institutions in Ghana to educate 5,000 of their students' accounts. So starting to see traction, having really fantastic conversations with a, a pipeline of potential customers. Product is looking great, team is looking great, and now it's really the big push now is about raising money so that we can fund this sell-in runway, essentially, to to build a sustainable business. Okay, and the mountain you have to climb is the money. Uh, okay, so where, where do you see that money coming from? We're raising in the in the UK. I I see most of that money coming from angel investors. Uh, we're speaking to a number of early stage institutional investors who have strategic alignment. But ultimately, I think it's an early stage, high risk, but very interesting opportunity for angel investors. Well, we hope so. We hope they think so as well. <laughs> we hope so. I kind of see it as an extension of my team too, since it's the early stage. 
A question I've got to ask you, which is, if for any reason it doesn't work out, I mean, I hardly want to go there and you probably don't want to even think about it, but if it doesn't work out, do you think you'd have any regrets? I mean, has it actually tarnished an otherwise stellar career? Jeff, to be honest, the statistics for the number of startups that actually survive, let alone become billion-dollar companies, is staggering. So I'm fully aware of the, the probabilities here. For me, I definitely would regret not doing it more than than if it fails. I think I'm very convinced of the fact that this is a problem and this is a problem worth solving. And I personally am so passionate about solving this problem that I'm willing to put time and money and sacrifice uh, into figuring out a solution. And to be honest, if it doesn't work, which, as I said, statistics say is probably not, I'm more than comfortable with the fact that I tried. But I also think at very worst, I can just get a job. <laughs> Which... Well, I'd imagine you get a better job, you know, or a job at a more innovative company anyway, because you know, th these must be skills that you're learning yeah. that, that can only be learned by doing that are going to be of huge value. I mean, people want hustlers, don't they? Well, definitely. I think I'm learning a huge amount on a daily basis. So I would say I would be even more employable, even after a failed startup than a successful startup. But also, I think this journey is so addictive that I would try many more ideas before I actually went back into corporate. Yes, you'd probably be unemployable, I should think, because you know you just won't do what you're told. You're going to be an idea junkie from here on. Probably. It's it, it's definitely addictive. So this is all all-consuming, and you have the emotional highs and the emotional lows all delivered by, by Finisi. So how do you maintain balance as an individual, or does that just go out of the window for a couple of years? I can honestly say I don't have a balance. Finisi does consume most of my my thoughts, my actions, almost every day. So how I manage that is, number one, I really enjoy what I do. I really believe in what I do. It, I mean, I mentioned earlier, I'm completely fulfilled and, and happy with the work that well, I'm that's doing. that's come through everything you've been saying. Yeah. So I'm happy. I'm fulfilled. However, I do have to be quite deliberate about taking time away, taking time to think. I actually put slots in my calendar, a couple of hours in my calendar just to for thinking time because it is quite it is all consuming and the, my to-do list just never gets shorter. My fiance also takes the brunt of a lot of my ambition for Finisi. So I really try and make make time for him and what's becoming more and more important for me is my mental health and maintaining some form of mindfulness and being quite deliberate about my mental health so that I can perform at my best every day. Monique, we have to let you go. It's been marvellous talking to you and learning about your venture. I mean, what comes out of this, which the, uh, the listeners won't be able to observe, but I can, is that you're just buzzing with this venture and this combination of purpose, but having found the viable financial business model as well is such a rare thing, has gestated over so many years. And I think we all admire that, applaud that and, and would wish you the very best of luck into the future. We'll, we'll be watching. Thanks very much, Jeff. Thanks for having me. It's been a great chat. Well, I hope you enjoyed this insight, this microcosm of entrepreneurship at uh, London Business School. We do loads more. If you want to engage with us in any way, then do go to our website, www.london.edu slash innovation. Thanks very much. Mm -hmm.